All right, settle down. If it gets rowdy, go and get rowdy. Last thing you need is me getting rowdy. You got to keep it kind of chill. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? All right, that was mediocre to almost poor. I said, how are you guys doing this morning? All right, now we're ready to go. Uh, my name is Dan Underhill. I am a, a resident campus pastor with One Chapel, and uh, this is my first time getting to speak with you guys. So first, I'd like to thank uh, Pastor Ross and Amy, who are unbelievable pastors, uh, who took the risk and threw the dice and said, all right, we're going to go ahead and take a chance on this uh, silverback and see what happens, okay? Then beyond that, uh, and much more importantly, is uh, Pastor Russ and Courtney uh, Walker, the pastors of this house. Can I hear you give it up for your pastors here? <laughs> Russ is the one who said, fine, I'll manage him. Okay, so he's the one who's got, got the real job to do. But I want to dive into today's topic, uh, and before we do that, I want to pray. And I kind of do the same prayer every time, and I know you may feel like, I think that's childish. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Jesus, right? Unless you become like one of these little ones, right? Oh, you're going to have to do a whole lot better than that if we're going to preach today, right? Ooh, here we go. So I want you to bow your heads with me and pray with me. I'd like you to say this out loud with me. Say, God. Let's try one more time like we love them, right? Say, God, help me get everything I need to get. Because sometimes I don't get it. So, God, help me to get it and not forget it. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen, amen. So, here we are. We're in a series, right? We're in a series about having a bad day and surviving through it. And today we're going to talk about serving. You guys have some notes with you. I'm going to have them raise the lights a little bit in the house so that that way you can see and you can take notes if you want to, okay? And if you just want to watch the silverback do his thing, that's kind of sometimes fun as well. That was funnier when I practiced it. Okay, but we're going to dive uh, into John chapter 13, and this is what it says. John chapter 13, verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Do you hear that? Okay. He put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. We're going to come back to that a little later on, just, just note it. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord... Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then the Lord, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean though not every one of you. 
for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Right now, there is a collective nervousness around this entire church. Are they going to do a foot washing right here? No. <laughs> that is not happening. Everybody just take a giant breath and go, because some of you got some stanky feet. You know what I mean? Some things that should be all just bound up and never seen again. You know what I mean? They just, some, all right, never mind. We'll move off that topic. We're not going to do that here today, but we're going to talk about how to have a bad day, how we survive a bad day, and we want to talk about this topic of service, and I couldn't think of a better place to start than where Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, serves right on the precipice of his worst day ever hanging on the cross. And what does he do? He serves. He bends down and he washes the feet. What was he doing? Well, he was setting an example for us, okay? When you serve, you take the focus off yourself and you fix it on the future. That's what he was doing. When you serve, you take the focus off yourself and you put it on the future. He was getting them ready to do what he needed them to do. You see, the, the disciples were the next generation. The disciples were the next ones to do what he was doing. And he was getting them ready because he was going to leave. So he had to make sure everything was settled. So the way he said he was going to put it on for them is serve them. Is serve them. So it's important that you realize Jesus at this point takes off his outer robe. Why is that important? Why would they put that in Scripture? You have to understand that in biblical times, the outer garment usually indicates what you do for a living or your class socially. What was Jesus doing? He was taking off his pride and his success. He was taking off what appeared to be great for everybody else to look at on the surface, and then he bent his knee to wash the feet for the next generation. That's why. When you serve, you set up the next generation. When you serve. Notice the word I use there. When. Not if. When. Say when with me. Say when. When you serve, you set up the next generation. And it's at that point that you become the conduit of God's power. It's at that moment that God can put power through you. And I wanted to show you a little bit of an illustration. And this is going to take a second to do. Okay? But I wanted to show you with my family what I'm talking about. So I'm going to ask my family if you guys would come up here for a second. This is going to be my grandfather. Father, Ud, Arstad, okay? And so any of you that are catching this, he's absolutely Norwegian, 100% Norwegian. And then Mildred, uh, Arstad, okay? They're going to come stand here, and next to them is going to be Philip and Linda, Arstad. Then after that will be my lovely bride, Kelly. Not Arstad anymore, baby. We got her right. No. I'm teasing. 
I'm teasing. Okay, let me do this, right? Can I have you come over here and stand on this side next to him? Because you kind of go with him. All right. All right. And then you have my daughter Eve. And then you have my son Jacob. Now, let me explain. They're just going to stand up here and look pretty and be on display for you. This is so awkward for them, isn't it? Yeah. This is what you get to do with family, just put them through stuff. Okay, I'll buy lunch. I'll do it. All right. So, this is Ud Arstad. Ud started serving when he was a teenager and has been serving for 78 years. The same with his wife, Mildred. She was a church pianist where she would do the specials and has played for 78 years. Not only did she do the, they did those things, but they worked in handicap homes, helping with mentally handicapped kids. They started as Sunday school teachers. They moved up through there, became elders and deacons, and then later in their years, did prison ministry. And when I say later in their years, like the past 20 years, yeah, that's a man and a woman of God right there. So next to them, they raised Phil Arstad, who has been a pastor and active ministry for well over 46 years and pastored the same church for just about 40 years in one location. Married to Linda, who, you know, keeps him in check because he needs it too, who ran a Christian school and did everything that a pastor's wife had to do, okay, and led ministries and spoke and ministered to women for the same amount of time, okay? <laughs> then it gets good. It gets real good, right? Then it comes to my bride, this is where I got smart and said, ooh, I like what I see here, mostly here, okay? Even though I like the rest. And I said, okay, boom. She's all right. And I'm going to get connected to her. And then, we'll teach this later in a different class, Eve and Jacob, okay? But I want you to understand something. This is not my mother, father, and my natural blood grandparents. My natural blood runs totally different. You see, my grandfather was an alcoholic who walked out on my grandmother, okay, when my dad was a middle schooler, and he had to quit school and go, to, go pick rocks in a field to be able to provide for his seven brothers and sisters. I didn't have a grandfather like this, okay? I didn't have a dad like this. I had to lead my parents back to church. I had to lead my grandmother back to God. I had to lead my aunts and uncles back to God. But you know what I did? Look at what Jesus did for me. Put me right in the middle of a lineage and a heritage of spiritual greatness. Now, I'm going to let you guys go ahead and sit down. Can you guys give it up to him and give honor to whom honor is due? These guys are amazing. I know that took a minute, but was it worth it? You know what we need to see in more churches? Lineage. Because the next generation is walking out of the church faster than we're walking into it. 
And we have got to be about the business of raising the next generation to do what we're doing now so that that way the church has a future because the church is God's bride. And I don't believe in domestic abuse whatsoever. I believe we take care of our wives. I believe that it's our job to provide for our wives. I believe that it's our job to protect our wives. Our wives are not inferior. They're not weaker. They're not, oh, I need you to help me. No, 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 no. It's my responsibility and my privilege to be able to do this. And when it comes to the house of God, that becomes my responsibility to provide for the house. Jesus said, you want to do this? Bend your knee. And wash the feet. Because the next generation is watching you when you serve. Not if. When you serve. You see, God grafted me in. That is not my lineage. That is not my heritage. But God said, you know what? I choose you. And all I did was say, if you can do something with this busted, wrecked mess called Underhill, then by God, I will bend my knee and serve you for all eternity. And when I did that, I hooked my way into a lineage that goes far beyond me. My son Jacob, right here, was named after Ud's father, Martin Jacob Arstad. It's no wonder to me that I was driving with my son a few months back. I said, Jacob, what do you think you want to do with your life? I'm that dad. He's literally like 10. He's like, I don't know, dude. Seriously? What's your five-year plan, Jacob? Well, uh, here's my spreadsheet, dad. You know, but I'm that guy. That's what I do. It's infuriating for my wife. Pray for her. He says, well, I want to do what you did. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, Poppy which is Phil. Don't you call him Phil. But for you, scoring at home, this is Phil. That's his poppy. He says, poppy was a pastor, and he left the church to his son, Kelly's brother, Mark. He goes, maybe we could do the same thing, Dad. He goes, but first, I want to play in the NFL. (laughs) I said, all right, get you some, Edelman. All right. He goes, and he said these words to me. How else could I glorify God more than pastoring his people? That was a lot better than you made it out to be. Because from a father's heart, from a father's heart, that meant the world to me. Now, I'm not trying to make him force him into the ministry. If God calls him, great. I'll support him. I'll tell him what to watch out for and how to get him there the best I can but he comes from a long line of ministry and service. He'll do just fine. But it's not about me. And that's what serving does is it takes the focus off of you and puts it on something else, and it changes you in the middle of it. And that's what I found because my family, this is not about me. If I tell you more of my history, it's divorce, drug addiction. I'm the first one in my family history to go on to college and the first underhill man to not cheat on his wife so far. Ready? I don't come from great genes. But how great is it that God can graft you into a whole better heritage? Amen? God wants to graft you into something far beyond you. And when you're in the middle of a bad day, if you resort to the same things that everybody else resorts to, you're going to get the same results that everybody else gets. You see, you can't get what they got without doing what they did. See, there's too many people that want to get what they got without serving. 
without being there early, without staying late, without grinding it out with one more conversation, the number of cups of coffee, the keys that this woman has played for hours so that others can worship, the songs that this man has sang and the messages that they've wrote. It took time. It took blood. It took sweat. It took tears. It took sacrifice. And they didn't sacrifice for a cheap grace. They didn't sacrifice for a cheap grace that if we can manage to get into God's house, then, well, we'll get there if we have time. They did it because their forefathers had an experience with Jesus Christ where he bent a knee. Could you imagine being a disciple and seeing the Lord kneeling at your feet and washing the mess off of your feet physically? It is a powerful image that we often forget but it is a beautiful image of how you handle a bad day. So I want to give you three reasons to serve and to help others on a bad day. Okay? I want to give you three reasons. See, serving takes the focus off of the bad day, and it's going to place it on a couple different things. One, God's power. It's going to take the focus off of you in the bad day and put it on his power. Far too many people react to what happens to them in a day instead of respond. Reaction is, what, who's coming to get me, right? So I moved here from New York to Texas. You know how I walked around for a while? What's up? How you doing? Welcome to church. People are everywhere, right? Looking over my shoulder, right? That was a little bit of a northern edge that we had to just file down and go, chill, dude. They're like, mm, bless his heart. Mm, bless his heart. I take the focus off the people around me in the bad day that I'm having, and I start putting it on God's power. I don't react to situations. I respond to situations. Because God's power changes the way I respond to what's happening to me. When you get a poor report from the doctor, you get to bring that to God and say, well, what do you think? Their diagnosis has to go through the divine before it gets anywhere of effect. Now, I'm not saying that you can just blab it and grab it and God's going to heal everything. No, there's a part of our life that's a part of death. It's real. Death is coming for every one of us. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But it focuses us on God's power and what we should be doing because we're supposed to be salt and light. And if we're panicking in every situation when we run into a bad day, how are we influencing those beyond us? How are we setting up the next generation to know how to handle difficulty? One of the things I love most is every Monday night I get to have dinner with this family. That ain't easy, everybody. Okay? We've got to put effort out. But you know what I get? I get to hear my grandfather pray. And Jacob gets to hear his grandfather pray. That's a big deal. He hears the voice. He hears the stories that they tell. When Mildred talks about what she did in the church. They hear that. They hear Poppy talk about his mission trips, preaching all over the globe. And this is not, please don't get this twisted. This is not about my family. This is about the family. So don't get hung up on us and let us get in the way. But it takes your focus off of the problem and it puts it on God's power. 
And we need to focus on that in the middle of our struggle. We don't need to speak things negatively of what's happening. I'm stressed out. I'm worn out. Now, I'm not telling you to be fake. Don't be fake because we all know we live in an area where people can be fake. Mm, yeah, laugh of recognition. I don't know if I can laugh that loud at that. <laughs> no, no, we live in an area where people can be very superficial, don't we? However, do you want to hang out with the people that are always having a bad day? Do you always want to be, it's miserable and I'm just suffering for the Lord? Hopefully he takes you soon. I'm kidding, I'm joking, it's a pastor joke. But seriously, our response needs to be one that is inspiring and encouraging and lifting up the next generation. I love that every Monday night we have dinner, no matter what we serve. Hey, Papa, everything okay? Oh, sure, it was great. You know everything we cook is not good. He's like, oh, it's great. Eats every bit of it, nonstop. Doesn't even ever complain. That's focusing on the power, not on the problem. Now, I'm not saying my wife can't cook, because when I tell you, exhibit A. Second, it takes our focus off the bad day and it places us on the needs of others. We don't live in a world where people focus on others enough. But we need to. There are men and there are women in this room that I can look at face to face. One of them, my friend that came to support me today, that trains the next generation to do what he does. Literally the strongest man I've ever known. Physically, he can whip my tail. Okay? But he trains the next generation to do what he did. And we have to make sure that we're focusing on others and not ourselves because one day we're not here. And we may look behind us and there's no legacy. And I believe God's called every one of us to make disciples. Therefore, by nature, we are called to be leaders. And if there's no one behind you that's following you and doing what you're doing and you're discipling, then you're not leading, you're just taking a walk. And you've got to put people behind you and say, grab my hand. And yes, I know when you ask someone to grab your hand, it slows you down. I'm not as effective. I'm not as efficient. I'm not as successful. Wrong. That is the way the world thinks. That is a model that works in your culture, but it does not work in your faith. In your faith, you will become stronger because the ones that are around you that you're connected to. But if you have no connection to anyone, when all of a sudden the storms start to blow and the winds and the rains hit life, who are you going to lean on if you have not been discipling anyone? You have got to have rocks of faith around you. The people that have gone before you to say, I love you, I stand here right behind you. That is what the church is. The church is the house and a fortress where we come to and say, yes, we're here. I've got your back. I'm behind you. Wherever you go, where you go, I go. Your people will be my people. Your God is my God. But that takes discipline. That takes character. And it sometimes slows us down. Let me ask you a question. Do you need to go faster in life? And do more? Or maybe you need to slow down. Every one of us. Maybe you could take a breath. Put our cell phone down. And say, hey, I'm going to focus on what's important. Not just what's ringing in my ear. Last, the one you are ultimately serving. It puts the focus on him. 
It puts the focus back on the one who you're ultimately serving. That's what it does. When you serve, when you have a bad day, it puts the focus back on him. You see, too many of us get caught up thinking that this is the real deal. This ain't the real deal, baby. This is the pregame. This is just the pregame. You see, the real game is when this body shuts down right around 84. So I told my wife that's when it's happening. 84, I'm going to kiss her goodnight and say, baby, I love you. I'm not getting up in the morning. I'm out. I'm done. We only get about 80, 90, maybe 100 years here. A small window. And then we're with God for how long? Eternity. Why do we focus so hard on the 80 instead of the eternity? The eternity is what it is about. In eternity, I get to stand there with my son and say, hopefully I train him upright with my daughter who wants to go into Christian counseling and says, Dad, I want to be in ministry. Can I do that? Because I'm a girl. I'm like, heck yeah, baby. Jump on board. Let's go. You ain't going to find a better Christian counselor than this one when she's ready. She'll be full of fire. You want a good word? You want good, you want good information? You want good counseling? Dial her up in about 10 years, okay? Because she can already split through it. She, already, she looked through her friends at school and be like, mm-hmm, stop acting a fool. I'm like, are you a freshman? Wow. That was last year. Now she's a sophomore. But ready? That's what we've got to focus on. The future. Not this 80. Not whether I drive something cool today or I get a bigger house that's going to rot and burn and fade away and somebody else will live in it and change everything you decorated anyway. You're like, mm, this is ugly. I'm going to buy it. I'll pay $500,000, paint the whole thing. And you put your heart and your soul and you invest all your priority in it instead of using it as a home, as a model for God's house. Make it a model of what God does in his house. Have someone at that table. Have a big table. Have a huge table. I got blessed by one of my best friends that just gave me a massive table. I can put all my family around it because I have a lot of kids. But I can put a lot of people around it. Have people at your table and focus now on the one you're ultimately serving. Because if we're painfully honest, we get too caught up in serving the man or our business, or our success, instead of what we really need to be focusing on. You see, we, we receive greater joy when we know why we're serving and who we're serving. You'll be so much happier when you know that, when you focus on him instead of them, when you focus on what he is saying instead of what they are saying. You see, God wants us to have softer hearts than we have. And that's hard. You're talking to a guy who's got a pretty rough heart. I remember I was about 13 years old, and I would cry when my dad would yell at me. I'd cry, just like that. Then my grandmother died. When my grandmother died, my father looked at me in the face because he was very frustrated with his mom dying, very frustrated. This is not on him. I'm not blaming him. Don't go there. But he looked at me with some colorful language and said, what are you crying about? And I remember that day I was like, anymore. I'm good. And got rock hard heart. It was like, mm, 
nope, nobody gets in here. But God is totally opposite of that as a father. He sees the heart and says, hey, hey, I need you to have a soft heart. You've got to see these people. You can't just run through your day and everybody's an inconvenience on the highway because you've got to hurry up and get to work. You've got to see that those are humans in those cars that have lives, that have babies, that have children, that have friends, that have family that they're going home to. You've got to slow down and see the people that are around us. And when we do that, we can soften our hearts. And there was a young lady who did so many decades of ministry. Her name is Jackie Pullinger. She ministered to drug addicts and prostitutes on the streets for decades. This is what she said. God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. The trouble with so many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. We don't go anywhere with our gospel. It stays right in our own heart. And God says, no, 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 no. Those feet got to go. But if your heart is hard, your feet will never go. We got to soften up our hearts. You see, now we're going to get into the meat. Because this is what Jesus did. Jesus demonstrated how we should treat those who betray us. You see, forgiveness is one thing. Forgiving somebody is one thing. But serving someone who betrays us, that's next level crazy, crazy hard to do. Hold on, this person betrayed me and now you want me to serve them, Dan? Not me. Don't focus on me. That's what Jesus modeled for us. That person that broke you, that person who abused you, that person who used you to move themselves along on the chessboard called life, who stabbed you in the back, who fired you, who, whatever the blank is, can you serve them? Can you bend a knee because you know who you ultimately are serving when you do and say, "Mm -hmm." I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying that we don't feel and you don't get frustrated and you don't have conversations with those you're connected to. But if that's all you do with it, then we're no better than anybody else. And we have got to be people who can serve those who have betrayed us. See, my ability to serve those who betray me has nothing to do with whether they deserve it or not. It has to do whether or not I'm honorable. When somebody else betrays me, it's my choice. If they're dishonorable, I have a choice. Am I going to become dishonorable because they were dishonorable? Or am I going to choose to sow honor where they chose to sow dishonor? You see, when you do that, you push a seed into the ground. You push a seed of faith down that God can say, now I can water that. Ooh, I can put the Holy Spirit on that. Ooh, I can change that. Watch. Now I can send what he needs or she needs from all these directions to what I've called them to do because they finally made it about somebody else instead of themselves. Now you're countercultural. Now you've shifted the whole focus. See, my ability to honor them demonstrates my love for him. My ability to honor them demonstrates my love for him. It proves what I preach. So I'm not just talking about it. This is what it says in Matthew 25, 
40. It says, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. There's no explaining that. That's just straight, straight fire truth. Jesus responds to his bad day by serving others who are in the same struggle. We have to remember that we all are struggling together. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So when you're having a conflict with someone, when someone betrays you, it's not with them. We wrestle against angels and principalities and demons and darkness in our world. We are living in a sinful, broken world that wants to twist and manipulate everything that we do. You see, when sin entered the world with Adam, all of a sudden the ground got twisted and it got difficult to work with. Right? Thorns and thistles are the things that grew that were a problem because of the sin. And what was it that Jesus came and rectified? It was all of that. He hung on a tree that what? Had to grow out of a seed that came out of the ground. And what did they put on his head? They put a crown of thorns. What was Jesus modeling? Jesus was modeling, I'm taking everything that was broken back there, and I'm making it right, and I'm going to go ahead and make it simple and use the same exact products, that seed in that tree and that thorn in that thistle, now become what? puts you back in line with him so that that way you can be grafted into a whole different lineage. That is what the kingdom of God is about. Changing the whole script. Rewriting your history and rewriting your destiny based on serving him because he is Lord and he is teacher. I'm going to go back and read real quick verse 2. It says, he put all things under his power is what it says. Jesus knew this, that God put it all under his power and that he had come from God, and he was returning from God. How many of our identity problems could be solved if we knew who we came from, who was really in power, and we knew who we were going back to? we got to get our focus right. we got to get our focus right. This is what it says in 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. It says, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God. Grace in various forms. I want to challenge you. I appreciate you taking the time and filling the seats and listening. I don't take that for granted. But I want to challenge you. Where are you going to serve? Where? Not if. Where? Now, obviously, we know that one chapel has so many opportunities. The tech department has been doing a wonderful job putting all these notes on the screen. Have they not? That doesn't just happen. Beth needs help, and that tech needs help. Your babies are not crying in this room. You want to know why? Because our pastor is up there holding babies right now. Talk about a man who lives this passage. Your pastor is not sitting here on the front row and making sure that I don't mess up. He's holding babies so you can focus on God's word. Where are you going to serve? It's not if, it's where. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Your service isn't a willy-nilly just sign up and go. 
but it absolutely should come from God. And I want to challenge you before you begin to think about serving the rest of the kingdom and the family. I want you to challenge you, who betrayed you? Who betrayed you that you need to serve? To figure out some way to serve them. Some way to go back. And you don't need to make it public, and it doesn't have to be expensive. You can figure out a way to serve them, and that will help you get right, not them. No expectation on them. You can't control them. All you can control is you. But if there's someone who's betrayed you, and that name is flashing in your mind as soon as I'm saying this, maybe that's someone you need to sit down and pray with your husband or your wife or someone you trust to say, I want to come up with a plan to rectify this. I'm not negating whether it hurt. The hurt is real. But it's time to heal. It's time to move on. Jesus, later on that night, after he washed the feet and gave this example to us, and he literally said, if you do what I did. That's how he ended that passage. He then goes into a time of communion. And we're going to do the same. But I want to give you a moment to get your heart in proper position. And we practice open communion here. What that means is simply that you don't have to be a member of the church here to participate. It's going to be simple as the, the worship team is going to lead us in just a moment. They're going to lead us in song, No Longer Slaves. That's intentional and it's on purpose because I don't want you to be a slave to who betrayed you any longer. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. It doesn't have to hold you down any longer. And I'm going to provide a moment where you can take communion. There's gluten-free and regular. But when you do, it's physically putting a sign down into the ground to say, hey, I'm moving forward from what betrayed me. I'm moving forward. And I'm going to do what my teacher and my Lord did. So I'm going to pray for you. When I say amen, the band's going to start that song. And you can exit out to your right to come through and then fill back in around behind, no matter where you are. There's communion on both sides. But you can exit out to the right, come through, and we'll start with the front rows to the back. And then I'll close this in prayer when we're done. But I'm going to pray for you. God, I pray your blessing on these people. Thank you that they're here. Thank you that they listen. Thank you that they are patient. God, I pray that my words would fall to the side, but only your words and your seeds would drive deep into the hearts, into the soil of our lives, God, and would produce a fruit that would remain. That, God, we would become the oaks of righteousness that you've called us to be. Not because we're good, but because we're grafted in. Because we're called with a purpose, we're anointed, and we have been designed to work in your kingdom and to set up the next generation to do the same. Would you bless these people? Would you honor their hearts? Jesus name. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for every person that is here. God, I pray your blessing on them. 
That, God, you would watch over and you would keep them, that you would bring them back to their home safely. But, God, not the same way that they showed up, but I pray that each one of us would walk out of here forever changed. Help us to be the salt and the light that you've designed us to be, God. Help us to walk on the streets and teach your gospel, and if necessary, use words. God, may our lives be a living testimony to what you've called us to be. Help us to walk with integrity and in service of others. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said? God bless you guys. Thank you for being here. Have a great day.